0: W-A-B-C. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 W-A-B-C. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the
1: right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. would you like to ride in my beauty? you I do lie.
2: spectacular military achievement, Joe Biden's Air Force has managed to (laughs) outmaneuver a balloon in a dogfight, and by fainting one way and the other, soaring and diving, it was able to outmaneuver the balloon, and despite it being such a tiny target in their screen, uh, and despite it being heavily armored, he was able to shoot it down. Congratulations, Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely incredible accomplishment. Now, um, first of all, I'd like to say hi to Doug DePiro, who's with me here. Hi, Dick Morris. Who is uh, an artist, a musician, and and a best friend. Hi, Don. And uh, I'd also like to have a special shout out to my wife, Eileen, hi, who has Eileen. been ill lately, who's listening to the show and I hope likes it. Well, my beautiful balloon. <laughs> so, why did the Chinese send up this stupid thing? And what was the point about it? Well,. We'll never really know, although we may know rather catastrophically. Oh but the speculation that I believe is that it's to lay the basis for an EMT attack on the United States. Really? And uh, this, this, an EMT attack, elect, EMP attack, right. electromagnetic pulse, right. is, is really what we need to be afraid of far more than a nuclear attack. Uh, it's, it is, it's the most horrible weapon short. of of an atomic bomb. An EMP attack sends an electromagnetic pulse into the atmosphere over the United States that is so strong that it overwhelms the entire grid, and uh, no electronic signals can be sent or be used in the US in the affected area. That means all computers, all cell phones, all information systems are down.
1: Right. It burns out diodes and burns out all Kills electronics. Kills your circuits.
2: Right. And, uh, and hospitals are closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stoplights don't work. The uh, EMA emergency broadcasting system is knocked out. Your 911 system is gone. The police dispatching system is gone. Everything that characterizes civilization we'll is gone. We'll basically need carrier pigeons. Your lights are out. Uh, your electricity doesn't work. Uh, nothing in your home works if Biden succeeds in switching us all to electric cars they won 't work, and uh, it just totally knocks out civilization uh, the This threat has been lo- looming larger and larger because it 's become clear that North Korea uh, and China are both testing it and both working on developing EMP as a weapon and The idea of a balloon is that it can be launched from that platform. Uh, The beauty of doing it by balloon is that it's not nuclear missiles that we'd be prepared to shoot down. It would be this harmless little balloon floating over our country, very much like kids in the park who have balloons that escape and they don't know to tie the balloon to their their shirt buttons, uh, and they escape and they wail and cry till. Mom and Daddy buy them a new balloon. Well, this balloon is a little more offensive. It's a very large balloon, and it and it will be would be the platform for an EMP. You mean, this. You think this was a, a dry <coughs> run? Yeah. What you would say with this balloon, yeah, just I to get a feel for how long it takes for us to shoot it down, and, and where the winds would blow, wind how would long blow. it would be up, uh-huh. okay, and so on. It may also be a warning to the U.S. That we're going to do this, that type of thing? That if, they, that if we uh, defend Taiwan militarily and get mm. into a war with them, this is what we can expect. Uh, it may be a warning to the U.S. After, the, after Russia loses in Ukraine that China still has tremendous power and not to treat it lightly.
1: Do we know where they launched it from, like a ship off I of the Pacific somewhere? I,
2: I, I don't know. That's but probably I don't think it takes any particular expertise to launch it. You know. If they're close enough and the winds are going in the right direction, sure. kids in the park can (laughs) release a balloon all Uh the time. Okay. Uh, It's amazing, amazing that we let this thing cross the United States at a leisurely pace. Like a day? As a balloon does. No, like a week.
1: It was a week?
2: It was several days, almost a week. And to let this thing traverse the United States as a spy balloon, and only eventually after a lot of pressure did we shoot it down. Trump would have took that down over the Pacific. well, he said that he he said he'd take it down right away, yeah. and the reason they didn't take it down was insane. They said that they were worried that there would be uh, debris that yeah, would hit okay. people in the head yeah. in montana okay. uh and uh, that's that's just ridiculous. Do you know the population of montana like three. Is a, no, it's about a million and a half and um and it spread over a very large area, maybe two million spread over a very large area. The area of Montana is twice the size of the area of Japan, with 125 million people in it. So rather sparsely populated, and the risk of it hit, not, hitting somebody in the noggin is very, very limited. Uh, but the risk of an EMP attack is very great. Now, there are... but By the way, an EMP attack can come not just from the Chinese, but from God, too, uh, it's a uh, sun. vigorous sunspot, uh, vigorous act- solar activity can cause an EMP that could go, travel to Earth and devastate us. One happened in about 1870, 1880, 1890. And, uh, it, and see what happened to all electronics back then? <laughs> yeah, there was no electronics <laughs> back then. so That was the joke. Nobody noticed that it happened. Right. But it did happen. It would have been uh, d- devastating um and the and and the effort to counter it uh is is very available to us if we choose to do it. We can harden our transistors we can harden our receptors we can harden the the uh the links in our system so they can't be fried by any m p Cover them with tinfoil No, i mean seriously harden them no, I know. and you can do that and it's not very expensive to do that. Uh, it would take probably, last time I calculated it, about $2 billion to do it, but certainly way shy of a trillion or anything, right. probably less than $10, 10 billion. and it could be done in the course of about two years with a lot of progress happening each each month. The reason we've not done it is absurd. The utilities take the position that the transistors that we'd be hardening are theirs. and and I'm, I'm sorry, the government takes the position that the utilities own the transistors and own the relays, and that therefore the government should not be responsible for hardening them. The private sector, the utilities should be. The utilities okay. say we don't need to harden them for our normal operations. This would be a government-imposed mandate. We want the government to pay for it. And on that financial dispute hangs the failure to do this. Uh, It's just incredible that it hasn't happened. Uh, Trump began the process and moved it forward, but didn't do it nearly enough, nearly as much as we need. And this balloon as an EMP possibility really is a warning that we have got to listen to. Uh, forget forget about the old fallout shelters and stuff. This is for real. Right now, the fact that we didn't shoot it down until it was a long time had elapsed reminds me of the U two incident in uh, nineteen fifty nine. When the, but this was before there were spy satellites, and uh, Russia launched the U S launched a spy plane that flew very high in the atmosphere and presumably could not be shot down by Russian surface-to-air missiles, or air-to-air missiles, and flew, I think it's 70,000 feet or something. And turns out it could be shot down. And the pilot, Francis Gary Powers, parachuted to safety and was immediately captured, as was the aircraft with all of its electronics on it. And the U.S. first denied it was a spy plane, said it was a weather plane. And when that was exposed as a lie... Khrushchev refused to sit with Eisenhower at the ensuing summit conference in Paris, and it blew up in everybody's face. Uh, But that was then, and this is now. Now a spy satellite is taken. It's completely routine. There are hundreds of them in the sky, regularly photographing every inch of China, the United States, the Soviet Union, everything, Russia, and everything in between. So there was no reason not to shoot down the, the spy balloon. And far more importantly than the balloon, is the need to take preventative measures to make sure this doesn't happen again, uh, or that the Russians don't get away, the Chinese don't get away with it when they do it. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, politics of the situation and uh, the State of the Union speech that Biden has coming up.
0: Talk Radio 77 W.A.B.C. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 W.A.B.C.
1: Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you.
2: Well, finally, there's an opponent to Donald Trump in the Republican primary. Uh, not much of an opponent, but an opponent. The field has been frozen by Trump's enormous lead, and everybody's afraid to take him on. And now the former U.N. ambassador and governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, has jumped into the race, or is about to. But she has no chance. She opens it like 1% of the vote. And, you know, when you're playing football and you're desperate, and there's no way that you can possibly come back and win the game, you, your quarterback throws what they uh, call uh, a Haley Mary <laughs> a Haley Mary pass and that's a what Haley
1: Mary. Nikki Haley
2: is about to throw a Haley Mary pass <laughs> <laughs> well, Dick Morris he's funny go ahead Diego you got something for us oh. Virgin. And it's Sunday, and it's Sunday. Yeah, well, we should be listening to "Hail to Ave Maria," Which but not "Hail Mary." Hail Hail-y Mary passes. That's funny, Dick. Um, absolutely. But uh the, the point is that the, the there's such publicity to be gained by running against Trump because the establishment will cover it like crazy. They'll be thrilled and delighted that somebody's doing it, and they'll pray for success. Uh, which is about the only prayer that she has of winning this race. What is she in the, in the polls, actually? At well, two? in a multi-candidate field, about three or four. And uh, in a two-way race, of course, you get much of the anti-Trump vote, but it's not going to be a two-way race. Um, uh, before passing over a candidacy, I just want to speak about the subject of gratitude. Um, Donald Trump said, if you want, not Donald Trump, Harry Truman said, if you want loyalty in Washington, buy a dog. <laughs> and and that's, that's the advice I would have for Trump's appointment of Nikki Haley. Here he took someone whose political career has, was simply confined to South Carolina, no emphasis or no focus on any national issue, and, uh, and he catapulted her into prominence by naming her U.N. ambassador. And uh, that's how she repays him, by running against him in a primary. But she's not alone. You have Mike Pompeo who's talking about it. You have Mike Pence who's talking about it. You have, um, for that matter, Ron DeSantis who was losing the race for governor of Florida by a lot. And Trump came in and endorsed him and spent three days in Florida campaigning for him and moved him from far behind to a win. And all of these guys are expressing their warmth and gratitude toward Donald Trump by trying to throw him out of office and that's absolutely the way Washington works. Um, let's go to Judith in Brooklyn. Hello, Judith. Hi, Judith.
3: Oh, hi, hi, hi good. Hi, how are you? Thanks. Um, well, a couple of things. Number one, I think Nikki Haley might want to be vice president. I don't know. Trump that's is a hell of
2: a way to do it. If anybody right. thinks <laughs> that by running against Donald Trump. Right. They advanced their candidacy for dog catcher or anything else. They're out of their minds. <laughs> out of their minds. Well Dick, well, Dick, it does not forgive well, Dick, easily.
3: Yeah, well, Dick, it worked very well with Kamala, Catherine Kamala, uh, Comrade, yeah, but, whatever her name but, is. But,
2: worked but with she, her. It was a corpse, Joe Biden. He had lost every primary in the world, and he was staggering into South Carolina, and he had to find a black woman to put on his ticket, right. and she was the only one available it's no comparison. Uh, Donald Trump will absolutely behead. He won't appoint her. He'll behead her. <laughs> Off with her head will be wow. the campaign slogan. But go ahead, Judith.
3: Okay. And also, I just want to remind everyone, and you also, Dick, Trump is the only one with financial independence. Everyone else, of the, every one of them are all dependent on other people to, like, push their uh, finances.
2: Well, it's, it's so more he, than that, Judith, feels- and good for you for pointing that out. It's not just that Trump is independent because he's rich. Much more importantly, he has a base of small online donors that is without parallel in America. He raised almost $400 million online from small donations, and um, he wasn't taking them until about... Two weeks ago,
0: like under a hundred dollars, type of thing, twenties yeah. and
2: fifties, Under right. fifty, yeah.
1: Unbelievable.
2: And in the la- and in one week, he raised nine million dollars online. Wow. Uh, in one day, I think he raised yep. six or seven. Uh-huh. And uh, this is a capacity that nobody else in politics has. Uh, it's unbelievable. And when we talk about political independence from the special interests, this is the definition of that. Now. Biden's State of the Union speech is coming up soon, and it will be based upon not taking any responsibility for anything. Uh, So let's hear from Ralph in New Jersey about that.
3: Yeah, that's exactly uh, where we are uh, finding ourselves with Joseph Biden not taking responsibility for things he has done, things he failed to do, and things uh, that he passed on to, you know, other people, such uh, was the case when he was asked pertaining the inflation, okay? Never mind uh, the balloon situation. That was the trial balloon from China. Right. And he has, uh, you know, dismally, abysmally failed by being weak, in reckless, uh,
2: derelict. Trial, uh, trial balloon has a different meaning when EMT, when EMP stuff is on board. Uh, Rick in Elmwood Park has a correction about went the last EMP attack that God sent against America. Hi, Rick.
3: How you doing? Yeah, I studied climate science so I could debunk the global warming scam, and I came across this. <laughs> it was 1859, the Carrington event, and we actually got hit twice, and um, there were fires all across the world, and um, the telegraph offices reported that their machines sparked and burst into flames. And a lot of the papers caught fire, and some people were shocked.
2: What year was that?
3: 1859.
2: 59, right? 59, yeah. And then after the sparks flew, the Civil War came on. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, bunch of sparks there. Uh, Daniel has a question. Maybe you can help us answer, Rick. Uh, how long? How close to land would it have to be to do damage? Rick. They must have Okay, been- Daniel.
3: Hi. Hi. Yes, I had that question, and I'd also like to ask if there's a military option to reliably neutralize an EMP attack from a missile.
2: No, there's not. Uh, There is a defensive option of hardening your receptors, particularly in the electric grid, and we can do that. We should do that. We did some of it under Trump, but it has to be a crash program that we complete, and – we need to give the federal government the right to go in and repair and take any preventive measure it wants, whether or not the utility company approves of it. There have been some attacks on power grid stations by um, small groups of commandos, but, uh, but this is far more significant, and there's got to be a serious effort to contain that and to make sure it doesn't absolutely destroy our country. Let's go to Pamela in central Jersey. Hey, Pamela. Hi, Pamela.
3: Hey, um, two quick points. The keratin event, um, it doesn't, uh, the question was uh, how close you have to be. Well, the solar flares combined with the m- magnetic force of the earth, that caused the Carrington event. So you could be miles away or you could be up close and personal. So what the Chinese were doing, we're trying to find out where our transformers are, our power plants. I- I'm sure they were checking out our power plants. And you don't have to be close at all, or you can be right on top of it. Second point, I was rather surprised this morning because he usually stays neutral. Gordon Chen threw Trump under the bus. He said no president has, uh, you know, uh, done anything about China. And I'm kind of shocked about that. Uh, Trump definitely has. He mentioned Trump. And he doesn't usually do that. He doesn't mention specifics. He says, I stay out of American politics. I'm just talking about China. And I'm, I'm rather annoyed with that because Trump tried and he can only do, uh, and he did stuff.
2: What did Trump do? Uh, what he, did Trump um, do?
3: Uh, uh, a a tariff, uh, uh, which annoyed them and sent us. No, COVID. I mean, what did
2: he do to harden our receptors so they couldn't do an EMP on us?
3: Oh, well, he was talking in general. In
1: general, about right.
3: About going up against China. He wasn't right. talking EMP. That, right, that's right. a. Yeah.
2: Well, I think he was. I think he gave a statement on it, but I'll go check it out during the break. Um, Thank you, Pamela. Thank you, Pamela. We'll be back, and we'll talk more about that and about moving the South Carolina primary to first place.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC.
2: On March 26th of 1998, uh, President—I'm sorry, put 1998. I'm two decades behind. <laughs> March 6th, March 26th of 2018, President Trump issued an executive order on coordinating national resilience to electromagnetic pulse. And uh, it called for coordinating all of the efforts going on in the country to defend us against this. And the investigation that the commission undertook indicated that because it was conducted under Obama, uh, most of the effort was to protect against solar flares (laughs) and not against enemy action. And uh, Trump began to reorient the process to deal with the problem with the issue of electromagnetic pulse Coming from other from other countries, and uh, he found that the strategy, preservation strategies by utilities uh, have not been focused on the idea of enemy action. The current efforts to protect the electric grid from EMP event have ranged from hardening of infrastructure to updating technology and operational procedures. Duke Energy has begun testing its ability to recover from unexpected supply disruptions caused by an electromagnetic disturbance. U.S. policies and procedures to mitigate and prepare for an EMP incident have been limited by both the government and industry leaders. Uh, Addressing it involves a myriad of public and private action, making a cohesive policy difficult. In particular, FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, lacks the necessary legal authority to impose restrictions on the electric industry the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, home to prominent industry members, created industry standards that are later approved, that would later be approved or declined by the Regulatory Commission. So what's obviously needed here is for the president, such as he is, to to get legislation passed, giving FERC, the total authority over all of this, forcing the utility companies to comply and creating a time deadline where this stuff has to be done very, very quickly. I think that in the next week or so, you may hear President Trump make a proposal along just these lines. Uh, Now, while this is happening, an electromagnetic pulse of a different sort emanated from the Democratic Committee (laughs) when they uh, changed the order of primaries uh, for the 2024 election. The problem was that the first primary was, the first caucus was in Iowa, followed by New Hampshire, followed by Nevada, and they have very few blacks in those states. Uh, and b- Biden wanted a primary heavy with blacks so that he would have a chance of being renominated. nominated uh, And if he wasn't going to run, that the African-American community could determine who the next nominee would be, just as they determined that Biden would win the nomination this past time and uh, the Democratic Party went along with that schedule. The black vote has become the tail that completely wags the Democratic dog, and this action formalizes, really, the control that they have over the process. Remember what happened in 2016. In the first primary, uh, the first caucus, Iowa, the results were so complicated and so uh, difficult to tally that there was never a tally. There was never a winner a loser or even an order of finish. Eventually, months months later, it was determined that uh, Buttigieg had won, Um, but it took a long time, and Iowa exerted no role in the process. Then you skip over Iowa and you get to New Hampshire, which really had a primary, and Biden finished, I think, fourth or fifth. Uh, The winner again was Buttigieg. I think that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders both finished high in the voting. And I think Biden came in fourth or maybe even fifth. Then they moved to Nevada, where Biden had a similarly terrible showing, third or fourth or fifth. And that led Biden to go on bended knee to James Clyburn, the black leader of South Carolina Democrats, the congressman, uh, who used his authority and his prestige to tell African-Americans to back Biden in the forthcoming South Carolina primary. And the Democrats had engineered the system so that the South Carolina primary took place on a Saturday, and the Super Tuesday primary, where about a quarter of America voted, including most of the black states, was on Tuesday, three days later. And the whole idea was to create a domino effect with South Carolina would fall and then all of the other states would fall in unison. And they all did. They reliably did exactly what they were supposed to do. And uh, all the other candidates withdrew. They were all out of the race over that weekend. Biden swept the Super Tuesday states. I think Bloomberg may have been one of the last to pull out. And, uh, and he won the nomination, really without winning any election. And they're hoping that they can create the same kind of process going on for 2024, because Biden is incredibly vulnerable in the re-nomination process. Forget reelection, get to re-nomination. Right. When McLaughlin asked in his survey who you would support for the Democratic nomination for president in 2024, a survey of registered Democrats who were likely primary voters gave Biden a whopping 25% of their support. Oh my God. He he finished first, but with 25%. Michelle Obama was at 24, Buttigieg was at nine, and everybody else was in single digits. And about 25 candidates got more than 1% of the vote. So there was no, and that's incredible, it's unbelievable. At the same time, McLaughlin asked Republican primary voters who should win the Republican nomination, And Donald Trump got 57% of the vote. I mean, that's more like it. For an incumbent president to get 25% in his own party means that he has tremendous, tremendous vulnerability. And that was apparent in this poll. And to try to break the possibility of his being defeated for renomination by his own party, by a primary that comes out of nowhere, they stacked up this order of primaries. So that the first primary, you have to win the black vote in order to defeat Biden. Uh, South Carolina has the highest percentage of black participation in their primary of any jurisdiction outside of Washington, D.C. That's 90 percent black. And uh, it creates a a a, stopgap, a fire break, so that if somebody runs against Biden and catches fire, the fire is extinguished in South Carolina. And then Super Tuesday doesn't come immediately after, but you have Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and then you have the Super Tuesday states. So this is all a device to finagle nomination for Biden, as weak as he is, with the Democrats convinced that he shouldn't run. It's an incredible move by Biden, and it shows, number one, that he's hoping to get reelected, and number two, that he has absolutely almost eliminated his ability... To win a Democratic primary unless it's completely stacked. Uh, Let's go to, um, let's go to, oh, Judith again uh, in New York. Oh, that's Judy. Judy in New York. New York City. Judy. Judy.
1: Hi, Judy.
0: uh, i Hi, I'm,
3: I'm wondering, do you think that the actions, and in the case of the, of the balloon, the inaction for a week, reflective possibly of advice from former presidents given to presidents? It's um, interesting. Uh, not only in the balloon, uh, letting it happen, but also in agreeing to things like the Paris Accord and all the rules and regulations that came with the Millennium
1: Agreement?
2: The Paris Accord, you're completely right. And it was an effort by the Democrats who were appeasers of China to give China a tremendous economic edge over the U.S. because it didn't sign the accord. In terms of the balloon, it's hard to tell where cowardice originated. But I think it was at least cowardice or, more likely, just a completely scrambled response to something they never anticipated going on and were not prepared for. Um, so, But uh, let me stay on South Carolina. I think that the Biden is so vulnerable. I wrote a column about three weeks ago that says the emperor has no clothes and that nobody in the Democratic Party dares to say this. The polling shows that people at the fringes of the party who are not close to power get significant vote shares in primaries against Biden. In a multi-candidate field, like I said, Biden opens at 25 percent and Buttigieg is at nine, Elizabeth Warren at six, Bernie Sanders at six, AOC at five, Hillary at five, Beto O'Rourke whose only qualifications he lost two statewide races in Texas. (laughs) That's his qualification. Opens at three. And and there are like 10 other candidates who have more than between 1% and 3% of the vote. And the issue is that if any one of those people steps out of line and says the emperor has no clothes and I'm going to challenge Biden in the primary, he could fall apart like a house of cards. And his fail-safe, his insurance policy is the same state that elected him president, South Carolina. And what he's trying to do now is to use his dominance over the black vote in South Carolina to trigger dominance in the national Democratic primary to lead to his renomination. Now, blacks are very powerful in the Democratic Party, but they don't control the whole thing. The black vote in the Democratic primary nationally is between 20 and 25%. And, uh, you know, that's not a majority. And uh, I think that the only way that they can leverage that is to front load all of the African-American vote in one state and then in a few states which are very black and use that to screw up the momentum of any challenger. So they wanted the Democrats and the Biden people undoubtedly wanted South Carolina first and then Super Tuesday. But Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada all raised hell about it. New Hampshire actually had a law that says it has to be the first primary in the country. And it's not at all clear that the New Hampshire legislature is going to allow another primary to be first. What they might do is just schedule theirs for whenever South Carolina schedules it, so maybe a day before. And uh, those primaries are likely to be a big offset, an antidote, to South Carolina. So I think that's probably what we're looking at, and uh, and it is. But it's absolutely incredible that a president could be so weak that that's what he's counting on having happen. Before we go to the break, let's go to Vincent in Brooklyn, who's a retired electronic technician. We need one of you.
1: I'm a retired electronics technician. I started studying electronics. When there weren't transistors in the late '50s, mm-hmm. in the '60s, when, the tra- when transistors were introduced, and so in the '70s, us, Vincent. excuse me? me. Come on,
2: educate us. We got. You. All
1: right. The problem is, is uh, with the electro- uh, electromagnetic pulses. The pulse comes through the air, through the antenna. The front end of radios, uh, iPhones, uh, telecommunications equipment. The front end of it that's where the antenna is there are ic's in there in the ic's the average uh, low integration ic has over a hundred thousand transistors in it the connections between them are smaller or thinner than a human hair so the pulse goes through the air and blows out the connections 50 right. years ago i saw a documentary by the air force what they're saying is in their b-52 bombers during World War II, they were totally immune from this stuff because they had tubes. And they were thinking of going back to putting tubes in the front end of their radios and on the back end using transistors and ICs. Huh. There are two kinds of destructions from an electromagnetic pulse. One from the air and one from when a lightning bolt hits a yep. power line and it goes through the power line and All it right. blows up. It burns out sections of the power supply in your appliance. That's why you have surge protectors that you plug it in. But if the United States used tube-operated equipment, we would have never had a space program. The first ICs that were built by the Intel Corporation in 1979 were produced mainly... For the space program, we would have never got yeah. off the ground if well, we Vincent, were, you Thank yoke. you,
2: thank you for the for the lecture. That, that was good I though. No, that was really good. Really appreciate it. That's very good. But um, let's go to uh, a break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the State of the Union speech that Biden is planning to give.
0: Talk Radio 77 WABC. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC.
1: Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with
2: you. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. No one could be sweeter than my sweetie when I meet her in the morning. It was either that song or Sweet Caroline to introduce (laughs) the Biden campaign. But um, Biden is about to give his State of the Union speech. And uh, I have a message for him from the American people. Tell me
1: lies, tell me sweet little lies. (laughs) Just getting them ready for it. That's all. Just be ready for the lies.
2: Yep. Tell me lies. Yeah. And that's what Biden's going to do. First, he's going to say that he's created 11 million new jobs since he became president. He's leaving out the fact that he destroyed tens of millions of new jobs by prolonging the lockdown much longer than it needed to be and by keeping schools closed forever and closing businesses forever, and then he restored the jobs. So to give him credit for creating these jobs is like the kid who murdered his mother and father and then pled to the judge for clemency on the grounds that he was an orphan. Uh, (laughs) These are are not problems Biden solved. These are problems Biden created and hasn't quite solved. He's also going to say that inflation is down something you will find laughable if you go shopping uh, and if you buy anything. Remember, the official inflation rate does not include energy or food. So what the hell else is there? What are we talking about, dishes? Uh, The the point is that if you count food, which has gone up by about 14%, and energy, which has gone up by about 11%, the overall assumption that the price increase is 6.5% is completely ludicrous. And inflation did not have to happen. It simply happened because Biden dumped too too much money into the process with his huge, huge spending. And that spending caused tremendous inflation, an excess of demand, a deficiency of supply, and prices shot up. And to make that even worse, he limited, damn near eliminated new sources of energy. So the inflation is two elements, folks. It is called cost push and demand pull. Cost push means you raise wages, you raise energy costs, and as a result, the cost of making something rises, and that's reflected in its price. That's the push. That's the cost push. Biden did that by letting energy prices rise, by creating a shortage of energy. Mm -hmm. And he did that by creating a shortage of workers, by giving huge benefits to people to stay home and not to work. So wages had to go up, and gas prices, energy prices went up, and that cost push sent inflation skyward. At the same time, he had demand pull, which is he dumped a trillion dollars of new demand into the economy by printing the cash and handing it out. So everybody lined up at the checkout counter to buy everything they possibly could particularly because during the pandemic, they couldn't go out and shop. And that rebound gave it a huge stimulus of demand. So the cost push and the demand pull combined to this gigantic level of inflation. And for Biden to pretend that it's ending is absolutely incredible. It's the the big lie. Well, his useful idiots listen to him and go, oh, my God, look. And they just believe him. They believe anything he says. Then he's going to talk about the debt limit. He's going to say that the credit of the United States depends upon our raising the debt limit. And that is such total baloney. The United States budget is about $4 trillion a year. I'm sorry, correction. The United States takes in $4 trillion a year in tax money, in income taxes and other taxes. The total cost of our debt service, of paying the interest and the principal on our debt, is about $400 billion a year, only about a tenth of the total federal budget. That means that if you can't borrow and you have to pay everything out of tax revenue, which is the case if they don't raise the debt limit, you still have $3.4 trillion to spend on anything you want on paying the interest on the debt, the principal on the debt, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, environment, aid to education, anything you want. You just have to make cuts somewhere uh, to accommodate the fact that you can't borrow. But you don't need to cut any of that. It goes way back to what happened in the 1990s when I worked for Clinton. And the Democrats said you can't balance the budget because if you do, you'll have to cut Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And we came back and we said, no, you don't have to cut those. There's enough other crap in the budget, uh, money for the post office or for Amtrak or for national education and broadcasting or aid to the arts or foreign aid to Ethiopia, all other kinds of stuff that's in that budget. And you can cut that. You don't have to touch Social Security or Medicare. Interesting. And Clinton said that the Democrats are using Social Security and Medicare as an excuse to get people to stop voting for cuts because they're saying that, oh, if you cut you're going to have to slice these other things and if you slice these other things it's going to really screw up the country and hurt Social Security and Medicare Not true You could cut everything and not touch Social Security and Medicare and balance the budget and for four years he did just that No cuts in Medicare, no cuts in Social Security no cuts in Medicaid and four years of a balanced budget Now the Democrats are coming back and saying, oh, maybe that worked then, but now you can't not raise the debt limit without making cuts in all these programs and without not paying your debt, which will subject the U.S. to the risk of bankruptcy. It's the same BS now that it was then. It's as untrue now as it was then. Just like you had enough tax money to fund Medicare, Social Security, and all the rest, now you have enough tax money to fund debt service, Medicare, mm-hmm. Social Security, and all the rest. And you only have to get into borrowed money after you run through $2 trillion of tax revenue that you're spending on everything else. And you might have to make cuts in some of that uh, or the, in order to get the debt limit increase. So what has to happen now is that the, the Republicans have got to say, hey, we will increase the debt limit, but only in return for a dollar-for-dollar dollar offset in a cut in federal spending. Let me go to federal spending. There are three kinds of federal spending. There's mandatory, which is uh, Social Security, Medicare, and other entitlements. Congress doesn't appropriate that. It just happens of how many people get the benefits, and that does not need to be cut. To the people would like to cut it, but it doesn't need to be. The second is defense spending, and we don't want to cut that, particularly not with the Chinese and the Russians doing what they're doing. But the third is discretionary non-defense spending that came to almost over a trillion dollars and close to two trillion dollars last year. That you can cut the living hell out of, uh, because it's all allocated by Congress, it's for the bureaucracy in the hundred or so federal agencies. It's for vital programs like National Aid to the Arts and the Humanities or Foreign Aid to about 100 different countries or dues to the UN or the Department of Commerce to run the census or the Department of Labor to snoop on employers throughout the country. Every agency has a budget, and that's all discretionary non-defense spending, and that all can be cut and should be cut. Now, discretionary non-defense spending has risen by 37 percent since 2019, 37 percent. So cut some of that back. Cut back 10 percent, a, a third of the increase. Cut back half the increase, and don't and raise the debt limit so we avoid default and we can function as a country. If we don't take a stand on the debt limit, we're never going to be able to control spending because the the Democrats. The the Democrats will never let us do it. They'll always vote against it. They'll use their control of the Senate to stop us from doing it. And the only weapon we have is the debt limit. And when the Republicans are confronted with the need to have a clean debt limit increase, which means just let us borrow more and don't make us cut spending, we're losing the only leverage we possibly can have over this, and we must not do that. Let's go to uh, Joe in North Jersey. Hey, Joe.
3: Hey, how you doing, Dick? Thanks for taking my call. I have two points. I'm gonna. I want to make them quick. And uh, uh, so, first thing is, we have to change the language how we call people. Like, for instance, Gavin Newsom scares me the most because he's probably the biggest liar, and he but he carries himself well. And by the by the end of the day, the the media is going to have him looking like uh, the second coming of Kennedy. He has to be known as Marxist, Gavin Newsom. We have to start calling them out for the evil that they are, because really, the things that they do, you know. We're losing the culture wars, and we need, right.
2: yep. we need a strategy on that. We need I made the same point recently that this is cultural Marxism yes. that's taking over the country, and they do it originally by changing the vocabulary. You're completely right.
1: Totally right. And
2: uh, we're facing it now in the default over the debt limit. Uh, any cut in spending is seen as a default and, and destroying our economy and ultimately destroying our country. So Biden is going to lie through the teeth in his State of the Union speech, and he's going to pose completely phony issues. And I think he will take great credit for the incredible military feat of with every one of our fighters and every one of our missiles, we were able to shoot down (laughs) a slow-moving balloon that was peacefully and quietly making its way over the United States that I think was several hundred or thou- several hundred feet in diameter, and he's going to take a victory lap for that. He's such an idiot. Well, he's he's so far has managed to fool the country, but uh, but the polls show that he's really not fooling the country, and he's fooling the Democratic Party. Uh, well, they're fools. He's also going to call for reforms in police procedure, uh, and uh, and and that's in response to the. Um, the uh, killings in Memphis, and he's going to call for, uh, he's going to say, continue to aid Ukraine. Now, we should continue to aid Ukraine, but each dollar we give them should be offset by a dollar to replenish our own military supplies, and we mustn't do anything that handicaps the police. There's a rise in vigilantism around the U.S. Right. Because we've handcuffed the police. This was fun. Thank Sorry you, Dick Moore. for the economics Morris. lesson, but it was easier than the electronics lesson. It's an honor. Thank you.
1: Thank you.